Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Welcome to my latest experiment. This is a big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. I just want to relax. Nice little warm bath. <laughs> I don't know how much longer I can hold this. Sarah Connor. Now look, carnage. Dead. Dead, dude. Well, what's fun about that? Quite sweet, really, aren't they? God, I love this street. Now what? Hey, guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is Claire with Bill and Mommy. As you know from last time... Mommy has become a full-time participant in these episodes. So now that we've gotten the boring introduction over with, let's get to the fascinating episode. (laughs) Bill, you start. (laughs) Well, first of all, I don't think you should call your mom boring. I mean, she knows she is. We don't need to remind her. the intro was boring. (laughs) I said the intro was boring. I heard what I heard. I am fascinating. Thank you very much. Um, a couple of things uh, before we dive into this week's movie, which is Dracula, uh, Todd Browning's Dracula from 1931. We have been doing a dive into the universal classic horror monster films. Uh, we started with Frankenstein. We did The Invisible Man. Uh, last week, we put out Bride of Frankenstein, and now we're on to Dracula. After this week, we're going to take a small detour from our dive into the universal classic horror monsters and do something that is... I'm I'm really excited about. Um, we're gonna watch the Monster Squad and talk about that a little bit, which I think is a great fit because it's got all of the classic horror monsters in it. And then after that, we're gonna go see um, Andre Gower's new documentary, Wolfman's Got Nards, which is about his experience of making that film and uh, sharing it with the community of fans who uh, that movie meant so much too. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. And then once we get done with that, we'll come back to the actual classic uh, monster films from Universal and finish that out with, I think, The Mummy and then Creature from the Black Lagoon. And so that's kind of the projection for the next little bit. But yeah, today we're here to talk about Dracula. Um, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what did you think about the movie, Claire? It was cool. I okay. liked I liked the part. I liked the white dress girls. And, mm, the uh, children of the night. What sounds they make. Okay, I'm going to limit you to just that one impersonation <laughs> of Dracula for the episode. Thank you very no much. No more? No. Administrative note. That's all no. you get. I never no impersonate Dracula. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. That, that still counts. He's not cutting it. You're banned. So what did you think about the movie, though? <laughs> It was good. What What did you? Uh, I mean, aside from uh, the children in the night, his his wives. What did you? What like? What stood out to you as the most fun thing in the movie? Renfield. Renfield. Yeah, he's great. I agree. I think Renfield really made that film. He's um. I'm. I couldn't. I'm. Uh, his name is uh, the actor that played him is Dwight Fry. We've actually seen him before. I don't know if you know that. Did you know that? Yeah. So the guy that plays Renfield in Dracula is also the guy that plays um, the assistant, Fritz, in Frankenstein. I knew it sounded similar. Yeah. And he's also apparently the guy who gets thrown off of the roof in um, Bride of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah, he's he's Carl in Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and then he's also a reporter in The Invisible Man. Uh, so Dwight Fry has actually been in all of the Universal Classic uh, movies that we've watched so far. But I, I want to say, I think this his performance in Dracula is maybe the best. 
It, I agree. I thought that um, the the overall movie was a little bit slow moving for me, um, which <gasps> I know, I know, I know. It really, <laughs> I know. It really surprised me, honestly, because um, I had like an intense uh, vampire phase when I was. Um, younger, I had all kinds of vampire books, everything from like the original Nosferatu, um, Bram Stoker's Dracula and up to like romance novels featuring vampires. I mean, well, you read a bunch of Anne Rice too, right? I read all the Anne Rice books. I read all the Twilight books. I mean, if it has a vampire in it, I'll read it. Um, so I was really excited for this one. I thought this was going to be my universal horror film, like the one that I connected with the most, but uh, it it was a little bit it was a little bit slow I thought but Renfield was fabulous and every time uh, Dwight Fry was on the screen I was totally enthralled and captivated and I thought his performance was amazing and I actually think the fact that we didn't recognize him as Fritz mm. and Carl and the reporter is a testament to how versatile his acting is that every character he he creates is so unique and different. Um, and the reason he really stands out as Renfield is because he actually performs like three different characters all in the same film. Because you have Renfield, the uptight businessman before his conversion. Then you have the completely enthralled uh, sort of manic Renfield. And then towards the end of the film, you have sort of an in-between where he is um, trying to do the right thing, but is still in Dracula's thrall. And so you get kind of a, a hybrid of the two. Claire, you got your hand raised. Uh, the uh, teacher would like to recognize Claire. Claire, go. I am the teacher. Oh, right. The teacher's husband would like <laughs> to recognize Claire. Um, you also watched all the Twilight movies recently. Yes, that's right. We uh, saw the original Twilight in the theater, and I made your dad go watch it with me. <laughs> and he had not read the books. And the thing you have to understand about Twilight is that the Twilight book, the first one, the one that is actually titled Twilight, is a really good YA book. Like, you would love it. Um, and you're at an age now where you could probably read it and understand it and everything. Because it's written for kids. Older kids, but kids. The movie was garbage. I mean, it was just a steaming pile of garbage. Which is kind of hilarious because it has Robert Pattinson in it. It has Kristen Stewart in it. And they're both really phenomenal, talented actors in yeah, other movies. movies. Yeah, they were in all the movies. Um, but that first one is really bad. I mean, I can't describe to you how bad it is. Did you watch it, Claire? No, no. she watched okay. the two and on. Did mm -hmm. you watch two? No, I watched the. I watched half of two and then the rest. Okay. All right. So, but you've, I guess, so but you've seen then some of the Twilight movies, right? And now you've seen the original, the the Todd Browning Dracula from 1931. Have you seen any other vampire movies? Yeah. Which ones? There's, so there's a whole set of movies that it's based off of those, but it's all of these guys' kids. Ah, okay. It's the Invisible Man's daughter, the Frankenstein's daughter. There's a... Um, Is there's this a, Descendants? What? Is this Descendants? No. no Descendants no. is the it Disney one. It wouldn't be Descendants. One. It would be either Ever After or Monster, Monster High. High. Monster yeah. High. Ever okay. After is all, the, um, is all the Disney characters' daughters. So, oh, that, okay, there's, a, there's an interesting thing, right? So... Um, the, then the monster high is derivative of like the, the Dracula performance of old. Did you recognize any of Bela Lugosi's dramatic movements? Um, did you see anything like that in like monster high? Did they ever reference that? Like Who's Bela Lugosi? Oh, uh, Bela Lugosi is the guy that plays Dracula in this oh. one. Draculaura 
acts exactly like Dracula. Ah, uh, okay, okay. She doesn't suck people's blood, mm-hmm. but she acts like that. And then I also watched My Babysitter's a Vampire, the movie and the TV show. Mm-hmm. And that's about a girl who was turned into a vampire that doesn't want to be a vampire mm-hmm. by her boyfriend. By the way, I put quotes on that. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm really curious about is, you know, do you have you seen any of this Dracula performance like in other vampire movies that you've watched? Like you were saying Draculaura, right? Has some of those movements of like Bela Lugosi's Dracula. Like like the intense stare, you know, where he's he's staring at the people to put them in his thrall and they kind of light his eyes a particular way. Um or the fact that he likes to pause before he finishes his Sentence. <laughs> I thought you said no more impersonation to me. Uh, well, he didn't do the Transylvanian accent, so I'll take it. <laughs> I want to suck your blood. What do you do? You, have you have you seen that? In any of the other things that you watched, or did all of those like mannerisms and and physicalities and stuff seem in new my, to you? In my babysitter's a vampire. They have what's called a vampire board. That's kind of like the council board that we have here, but it's for vampires. Okay. And the funny thing is, the actual original vampire is a three is like a seven year old girl. Hmm. Original and she vampire. She was turned into a vampire by getting um, plastic fangs stuck into her neck when she got when she got. When she was killed. <laughs> okay. And then she somehow turned into a vampire, and then she bit other people, and then they bit other people, and that sort of thing. But um, she acts kind of like Dracula. And when I saw the movie, I, th- I thought, does Dracula have two daughters? <laughs> um, you say an original vampire kind of got me thinking. Let's talk, um, let's talk film history and like character history for a second. So you saw at the beginning of the Dracula movie, right? that it said, based on Dracula, Bram Stoker's novel, right? So Bram Stoker, Bram Stoker? Bram. Bram Stoker writes Dracula in 1897, I want to say. And it's kind of the story that you see on the screen. And then in the early 20s, that novel is adapted to the stage. And the play... Uh, which is not, I think, a one-to-one look at like kind of what we saw in Dracula, but pretty close as far as the way that they tell the story, is put on stage. Bela Lugosi, who plays Dracula in Todd Browning's Dracula, um, was actually playing Dracula on the stage when they decided to commission this movie based on Bram Stoker's uh, character. And um, the studio didn't actually want Bela Lugosi to do it, Um, They didn't like it. He happened to be in L.A. um, taking the Broadway play on tour for a performance. And he went in and they were like, I don't know if you're a fit for the character. They said to the guy playing him on stage in the play that they were going to adapt for a film. Um, And Bella was like, well, I really want to be I want to be in the movie. So uh, he took a cut rate salary in order to entice them to pick him uh, to play Dracula in the film. But I, I think kind of the interesting thing history wise is that, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula is scary and gnarled. Um, You've seen kind of a picture of the Dracula as Bram Stoker saw him um, because you saw me looking at the Nosferatu uh, trailers. There's a silent film in Germany made called Nosferatu about Dracula, and that's the one where he's got the hideous-looking face and the really long, creepy fingers, and he stands, and you see his shadow get longer as he goes, and he just looks terrifying. And the play and the movie 
make Dracula into this kind of handsome count. Uh, I mean, I guess he's a count in the book, but he make they make them into this handsome man. He's not a monster that hides away that only comes out in the dark that would terrify people. He does have the ability to enthrall his victims, but uh, he could do it just by being charming. Well, I think one of the things you have to remember is that vampire mythology is a lot older than Stoker's book. Um, you know, there are uh, vampire stories coming from almost every culture every known culture. Now they don't all call them vampires, obviously, but just this concept of a nighttime creature that will suck your blood is present in a whole lot of cultures. And this particular sort of European version of it, I dates back at least as far as the middle ages. And to my knowledge, Stoker is really the first one to come up with the idea that he would be this gnarled, horrifying creature. Traditionally, they were seen as extremely compelling Hmm. Um, and, and there's a lot of, um, sort of obsession with sexual purity intertwined with the myths. Like you need to be very cautious of seductive men because they are dangerous. Oh man, we got to watch what we do in the shadows sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) What's, what's your fascination with virgins? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly it. Um, and you know, how do you keep your young daughter from going out with boys you don't approve of in the dark while well, you tell them that there's a scary creature out there that could kill you? Um, and also they're very handsome, so you won't see them coming. Oh, the things you're attracted to may murder you. Yeah. Stay inside, be afraid. Right. Claire, you had your hand up a second ago. Another movie that's related to it is um Hotel Transylvania, which is about Dracula with yet another daughter, Mavis. Mm-hmm. She is his daughter that came out before Monster High, and he, um, and in one of the movies, Danny is making a joke about his dad, which is, um, I mean, Grandpa, because his mom is Mavis, and he's a little kid that Mavis and mm-hmm. another character had. But um, Dracula, which is his name actually in the movie, um, he, Danny makes the kid makes the impersonation. He was like, I want to suck. Your blood, blah, blah, blah. But even in Hotel Transylvania, Dracula, I think in the sequel, Dracula is presented as this like charming, sexy older man that all of the women are attracted to. Yeah. And that I comes think, out of Bella Lugosi's performance. Yeah, it does. I was going to say, I think Hotel Transylvania, probably more so than any of the other modern retellings, um, is a nod to Bella Lugosi's character. He even has the widow's peak and um, and all of that. And I also think it's it's interesting that Bella Lugosi's character is so iconic in um, this movie because that whole idea of a guy that's kind of creepy, you know, he, he's not gnarled, he's not disfigured, but he is creepy right off the bat. I mean, the minute that Renfield walks in the room, he's like, okay, what is happening here? And when Dracula goes to England and he meets the people at the play, the one that he's trying to put in his thrall is, you know, totally into him. But everybody else is like, what is up with this guy? You know, he doesn't he talks funny and and all this kind of thing, which was very out of step with the traditional mythology. First of all, if you consider the fact that Dracula is supposed to be hundreds of years old, why does he have an accent? It doesn't take that long to master a language. Uh, but that was how Bela Lugosi sort of imagined him was he but- was going to be this very dramatic character with this intense stare and you know, this kind of creepy voice and everything. And that became really part of the way that people think about vampires and the way that they see them. And there are a lot of subsequent movies um, and books that give a nod to that and sort of fashion their version of a vampire 
after Bela Lugosi's portrayal of it, kind of in spite of a large body of mythology that came before it. But, um... But he lived in Transylvania, and everybody in Transylvania also had an accent. So even if he was like 2,000 years old, he lived in Transylvania his whole life. So he only knew the accent of Transylvania because he didn't go anywhere else. I also think that there's a part of it is, you know, because the, the we see Dracula before he goes to England. But I think part of it is meant to be that Dracula is a foreigner, and mm-hmm. it... It's meant to lean up into the fact that foreigners are scary. And it doesn't sound like there's too much moralizing to it. Foreigners are scary because this foreigner is going to murder your daughters. Um, But what did you think of the character of Dracula that we saw in this movie? Like, what did you think about his plans and his goals and his thoughts? Honestly, um, I thought that Dracula might have been maybe the worst character of the play. Not in like... What do you mean by worst? Not the, like, actor type, but mm. not, like, actor type, not, like, the story kind. I mean, like, how he was played. It just wasn't played right. I don't understand what you mean. And a lot of the, t- I've, in the modern Dracula, it's mm-hmm. so much different than that one. And the Dracula for the modern one that I've seen that was very, like, that's almost like it, the Dracula was nicer. He wasn't like, he didn't immediately kill his guy. Uh, so what's wrong with this one is that Dracula was a, a full-on villain. Yeah. And you don't think that Dracula should be a villain? No. Hmm, interesting. I don't... He's just trying to find food. It's not his fault that his, that's the only thing that he can eat is blood, his human blood. That's an interesting point. What I was going to say, though, in response to your point is that the way that Dracula's portrayed in this movie is totally impractical. It takes those people a couple of weeks to figure out who he is and to go after him. Mm-hmm. A vampire would not survive for hundreds of years if they're that unsubtle. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, the people at the village that Renfield meets when he gets off the stagecoach um, seem very much in the know that Dracula and his children of the night roam their forests and that he is a supernatural being that is uh, evil. Yeah, but he's a member of the aristocracy there and he can compel them to stay in those villages like they don't have a lot of choice sure sure um so what's dracula doing going to a modern city like london is is your point yeah like it just doesn't make sense and if he's going to go to london and he's going to survive there you know or build any kind of following or anything like that Mm. he's gonna have to blend in a little bit more so i i agree with claire i don't think that his character was very well thought out it is very compelling to watch why do you think that he went to london claire I think that it is because um, because there's more women there. Because in all of the things... I'm sorry, I distracted you. I got so excited because you knew the correct answer. Keep going. There is no correct answer. Oh yeah, there is. To this question, yeah, there is. Go ahead. Because um, Because there weren't actually a lot of women in that town. When you looked, the women, there was only like three women, not including the baby that was a girl. Mm-hmm. Because if you couldn't tell, the girl, I, I, I looked very close. Um, she had a little tiny ponytail sticking out of the baby crib. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I don't think they would have a boy like that already growing that much hair. So I thought it's probably going to be a girl. So not including the baby girl, there was only three women there. And there were like six boys, not including the henchman and the, the driver and Renfield. There was like six men. Mm-hmm. That's too much men for a town. 
So I think uh, this goes back to what we were talking about, about, um, you know, virgins. Like Dracula wants virgin brides. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty much tapped out that village in terms of young ladies who are foolish enough to go outside at night. Hmm. Um, so where do you find young virgins? Victorian England. Hmm. Okay. I don't get why he just chose the first victim as a little girl, little girl who's selling treats by the street. Nah, she wasn't a little girl though. I mean, she was definitely eighteen or nineteen. She was, she was, uh, she was, I would say, what you would consider an adult. He looked fifteen to me. 14 or 15. Even if she's 14 or 15 in that time period, she's old enough to work for a living, which is what she was doing. Um, interestingly enough, in this version of um, the mythology, it's pretty evident that you don't get turned into a vampire simply by being bitten, and you also don't necessarily die from being bitten. Um, you know, Dracula feeds on Mina multiple times, and uh, the same for Lucy before she dies, and the newspaper talks to victims who were bitten but survived the encounter. Um, so I think he feeds on uh, the poor in particular, but vulnerable people, people who are outside at night um, by necessity because they're working or whatever. Um, so he feeds on them, but that's not who he chooses to actually convert into a vampire to come live with him. Yeah. Uh, I think one other thing I'm curious about too, Claire, is if you are Renfield, Right. And your job is to be the, the, the paper guy for this count in Transylvania that you've never met, that you've only communicated with by mail. And the guy says, OK, well, now it's time to sign the papers. And so you got to get on a boat from London, England and uh, sail to Transylvania and take a, a coach all the way out to this mountain that's in the middle of nowhere. And you get to the village that's outside of the castle and all of the villagers are like. This dude is evil. You don't want to go see him. Do you listen to the villagers or do you go do your job? I listen to the villagers. Mm-hmm. I would just fake a death and just live with the villagers. There's <laughs> <laughs> putting herself in witness protection. So uh, one of the other things I want to talk about is um, versions, versions of the films, you know. Not to be confused with virgins. Right, not to be confused with virgins. I need to <laughs> enunciate. I need to enunciate. No, 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 wait, wait. I need to enunciate. Stop it. <laughs> okay, but you can't mispronounce enunciate while you're making an enunciation joke. Can, did, have done. No. It Rejected. happened. Okay, uh, no, but I think we want to talk about versions of these films. You know, these are really old movies. Um Todd Browning's Dracula is from 1931, so it's coming up on its 90th anniversary. What did you think about the sound quality of the version that we picked out? Oh, that was good. Even though every time there was quiet, there was a really loud hissing noise? I thought that that would actually be like appropriate. Oh, so you think it added to the ambiance, like the scariness. I, as an old person who doesn't always hear very well, found it very frustrating because there were times when I could not make out what the characters were saying. And I kept leaning over to your dad and going, what did he say? I I think um, the, the lesson that I learned from Dracula is, you know, I, and I know this, I think I was, I was reminded of it, but like the version that we watched was just the one that you could rent on iTunes. And uh, so that's, that's what I went ahead and did. But 
the sound quality of it isn't as good. And, you know, with a little cursory searching afterwards, I found a link to uh, the movie on a Vimeo account that the audio had been cleaned up um, and they even had uh, some of the original score that they intended to put with it, but then potentially released without uh, because they wanted to have all of those moments where Bela Lugosi was staring at people be quiet and intense and reflective of the stage play experience that they were trying to replicate, which is also part and parcel of like why the special effects were uh, just limited to fog and kind of bats on wires. You noticed the bats on wires, right? I saw the wire at the first bat. I was like, wait, why is there a wire? Mm-hmm. Uh, they did not do that editing well. Well, I, I, yeah, and I think that they didn't do the effect too great, but I think also when they made the movie, the idea was just to put the stage play on film, and they really didn't lean into any of the tricks that you can do with so filmmaking. it's not supposed to look real. Yeah. It's supposed to look like watching a play. I kind of th- feel like that's what they were going for because I know that they could do better than they did. And like, think about this. All of Dracula's transformation scenes and him coming out of the coffin happen like off screen they show the lid pop up on its own and then all of a sudden dracula is there on screen and and my guess is is that you know when they're on stage they have somebody you know pushing up the lid of the box but dracula's not actually in the box you know and he comes on stage and the spotlight comes on to him and it's as though he's just standing up for the first time and i think they put that on the screen but anyways i got distracted versions um, but I I think what's important to remember about some of this stuff is that, you know, this this is a piece of film history. And for some of these uh, films, you really want to approach it like you're a, a, an historian looking for the best archival copies and the works that people have done. I mean, it takes a lot of energy to preserve these films and it's complicated. And there are people out there who are kind of like working to do all that sort of stuff. So if you dive back into these things, don't just take the first version that you stumble across because uh, there's lots of uh, restored better versions ones. out there that you can, yeah, better ones that you can watch. And even the 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 visual, like the clarity of the picture and the brightness of the picture, from what I watched on my phone on, on the Vimeo link was way better uh, than what we wound up seeing bright. on iTunes. It was mostly white. There's barely any black. It's supposed to be black and white, not white, not white and little bit of black, which must have been there was probably sunshine shining in or something like that. Because if you had shot it nowadays, they could either edit the brightness out or there wouldn't be any sun at all because they would shoot it in a dark room. But even when they saw the Dracula spots that are supposed to be black in the background, it was still white. So they probably shot it outdoors or somewhere where the sun shone in. Speaking of uh, versions and and this idea of capturing something, um, did you know that they released another movie called Dracula in 1931 starring wholly different people? Universal at the time, while they were making a film that they felt like would have an international audience, um, they would uh, have a new director and a new cast and a new crew come in at night after the day crew and cast finished and use the same sets and film in a foreign language the same movie that they're making in English during the day. So there's a Spanish language version of Dracula directed by another person starring another person that was filmed on the same lot, on the same set, at the same time as Todd Browning's uh, Dracula only at night instead of during the day. It sucked to be the night crew. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I kind of agree. They would technically be actual vampires because vampires are called those night owls or something like that. It's like nocturnal. Creatures of the night? Nocturnal creatures? 
yeah, nocturnal people. Because they probably sleep in the day and then come out of the night to do their work and then go back to sleep again. That's true. Just like actual vampires and nocturnal animals. Hopefully they weren't feeding off the blood of extras. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's kind of like the, the film history aspect of it. Um, let's see, what else should we talk about for Dracula? I think that uh, there is kind of an interesting portrayal in the movie of... Um, the treatment of mentally ill people. Oh, for sure. I think that's a. I think that's a big part of you know, the novel and the story. Yeah, because I mean they don't show it a ton in the movie. Um, I think it's much more represented in the book. When they open that hold of the ship and find Renfield, he's not even saying anything. He's just staring up at them intently, and they're like, "Oh, he's crazy," you know. Immediately, there's no medical professional assessing him there's nobody asking him any questions they're just like look something really traumatic happened here and he's not speaking ergo we will put him in an asylum for the rest of his life like can you imagine if you lived in a society where if something bad happened near you and it upset you temporarily that would be enough to be locked up forever could they sentence someone to an asylum forever? Not a sentencing. So you, if if you were like Renfield was and they found him in the hole of the boat, he would be committed to an asylum and then it would be entirely up to, it would be up to Dr. Seward as to whether or not Renfield was ever allowed to be let go. No court, no judge, no sentence with an end date, you know, and, and in terms of like how many years do you have to be in there? Nothing like that. One human could decide whether or not he was ever allowed to be released from that facility. And you also could be committed by family members without any proof of mental illness. So if I decided that you were not behaving well and I was very angry with you and I wanted to have you locked up, I could have you committed for either a short period of time to convince you that you had to do what I said or for a longer period of time. Um, There are records of women in particular who were not okay with being property who didn't want to get married or who didn't want to obey their parents or obey their husbands being committed because they decided like you wouldn't feel that way if you were right in the head the fact that you want to make your own decisions and be your own person and you're a woman is proof that you're sick and they would lock them up you have a very yeah you're scowling (laughs) what are you thinking i'm mad at you for telling me that Mad at me for telling you that or mad at them for doing it? Them for doing it mm-hmm. and then you telling me that? Um, there are some really uh, difficult to read books that talk about the sanatoriums of England in particular and the United States because, you know, since we started out as a British colony, a lot of those practices were imported here. And uh, it was commonplace for patients to have their heads shaved when they entered the hospital because lice was such a huge problem in the um, in the hospitals, and so they would just hold them down and shave their heads. Um, they bathed them very infrequently, but when they did bathe them, they didn't heat the water at all because that was considered to be a waste of time. So even if it was like January in Massachusetts or in London when it's freezing cold, they would bathe them in cold water. It was commonplace, and in in some places... While not common, it is still a thing to electrocute people um, to see if maybe that would shock them quite literally into into being healthy or, or stable. 
They were treated horribly. Uh, most of the sanatoriums in England are described by people at the time as being worse than prison in terms of the conditions that the people were living in. Yeah. I don't know. You know, there's um, there's a lot of upsetting stuff around that. You know, that's that's part of why in a lot of uh, like ghost movies and haunted movies, they take place in old asylums because there's a lot of trauma. Like it's a it's a very well known thing, I guess, that we don't really talk about or think about too much. <laughs> like how much trauma we inflicted on people treating their psychiatric problems or not. Mm-hmm. Another um, similarity to this, it's not the Dracula thing at all. I've been reading the Spiderwick Chronicles and there and the um Jared, Mallory, and Simon's great aunt Lucinda um was put in a it was put in a home because she kept being scratched by fairies and her and her sister didn't believe her at all. Her cousin's sister, because she lived with her sister because the great aunt Lucinda's family had died when she was just a little girl. And um Arthur Spiderwick, her dad, he just disappeared one day when going to work. And he didn't take his field guide with him, which means he didn't intend to go away. Mm-hmm. But they believed it because Great Aunt Lucinda was the only one who knew about the fairies, just like her dad. And the family didn't believe it. The mom died of sadness. And then Lucy's older sister went off to college. And then, then she didn't see her for a while. And she was put in an asylum because her cousin's sister thought that she went crazy because she kept getting knife marks from fairies and stuff. And it was all because they were trying to get the field guide. But Lucy didn't know where the field guide was. And she was put in a in an asylum just because she had knife marks. Because, I mean, for all you know, she could have chopped herself up on accident when cooking. Mm-hmm. I think especially in fantasy and um, horror stories, you get a lot of references to people being committed and to the trauma of being sent to uh, asylums because number one like culturally even though we don't talk about like the importance of mental health even today we really don't talk about it it's it's a very taboo subject if you have issues with mental health people feel like they shouldn't share them you know um it's it's part of why like i try and be open when i talk about the fact that i have issues with anxiety and i get stressed out about things i want to share that because we don't talk about those things enough and i want people to know like these are issues that i deal with every day and I'm your normal average person with family and responsibilities. I think it helps to normalize how we think about that stuff. Um, But people don't talk about it, but we sort of know that there's this underlying thing of horribleness. But on the other hand, you know, if, if you want, if, you know, if you're a person telling a story and you want to try and put them in a position where people necessarily are just not going to believe the truths that they're trying to share, it's easy shorthand to say that that made them seem crazy and and to put them in an insane asylum. Like I think Dracula very deliberately works a little bit as a story with the idea of the insane asylum and people not believing what Renfield was trying to tell them, especially at the end as Renfield was very heroically battling being in Dracula's um, enthrallment and trying to warn them of the horror that was coming. uh, They wouldn't listen to him. And and very deliberately, I think the main character that's not listening to him is um, Mina's father and the guy who runs and oversees the um, the asylum. Um, so like they're doing something yeah. with that in a story. But I think you get a lot of stories, too, where people just use it as like, a, oh, nobody believed them and they weren't going to believe them. So they were crazy and they went to the asylum, you know, and um, I guess it's. It's, I think the takeaway from that is that, you know, when you put elements like that in a story that touch on 
um, really deep traumatic moments in histories and periods in histories, you know, you got to remember that these are experiences that real people had and horrors that they experienced in real life, not Dracula and vampires and children of the night, but like losing your entire identity and your family and being disowned and being put in in an asylum where nobody did anything for you and it was worse than prison because you couldn't get out. You couldn't get out. There's a there's a lot of um, themes in the story, kind of a surprisingly dense amount of them, I think, because there's the the treatment of the mentally ill, which you just touched on. Um, I think there's also some commentary there about uh, women and the role of women in society, because we see and I think Claire mentioned this during the movie um, when Dracula decides he wants a bride, he just takes one and her wishes are not part of it. Um, and there's a really compelling scene there where Jonathan Harker, which is Mina's fiance and Mina's father are having a conversation about what's best for Mina, where Mina should go and what Mina should do. And Mina's not even a part of the conversation, even though she's in the room. So sort of touching on that. And then Billy, you pointed out, um, which I had completely missed that there are some themes about the aristocracy feeding off of the life force of the working class. Look, if anybody was going to catch a reference to how the rich feed off of the poor. It would be our resident Marxist. Yes. <laughs> Accurate. Um, you know, so that's in there. And then w- what we talked about, the fear of um, the seductive stranger who can sort of ruin your whole life if you um, don't listen to your parents and you, you know, continue to see him when you're not supposed to. It's all in there, and it's not a particularly long movie, and I don't recall it being a particularly long book. So, um, another movie that we watched, it was called Bubba Hotep. Weren't they in it? Did you watch Bubba Hotep with me? Yeah. Good parenting. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so go ahead. You were saying? Weren't they in an asylum? Uh, Boy, no, they weren't. They were in institutionally what might be similar to that experience. They were in like a an assisted living facility, basically, an, an old folks home. A nursing home. A nursing home. A lot of the people that were there were crazy, and I thought, it's probably an asylum for old people that's called a nursing home, put the quotes on that, and they were treated a lot better than the, than the asylums for There's, normal people. You know, the, for, for when, when people get older, especially if they don't have people who can take care of them every day, but they're not sick like they have a disease where they need to be in a hospital with doctors treating them, but they just can't do some of the things that they need to. There is a need to provide assistance to them, and families can't always do that. One of the common problems with those types of facilities is similar to the problems that were faced by asylums. Are. Right, are are similar, which is that there's not a lot of oversight. You know, necessarily it, it becomes a thing that is not visible, so out of sight, out of mind. And there's a lot of power stacked against them, and they can't speak up for themselves or defend themselves when something is not right um, and they're being treated wrongly. And I think a lot of the abuses are the same. You know, um, uh, in, in unethical nursing homes, certainly not good ones, but in unethical nursing homes, you have um, patients being restrained, tied to the bed because there just aren't enough staff to watch out for them. And so they think that tying them down is better than having them fall and get hurt or injure themselves or something like that. 
Um, there are cases in the news all the time about patients in nursing homes being abused physically by the staff. And nobody listens to them. No one visits them. They're very much sort of um, hidden from society. And all of that is true also of people who are in mental health facilities even now. Certainly the it's better than it was. We don't routinely shave their heads anymore. There um, hopefully are not rampant lice infestations. Um, you don't have the flu coming through and killing everybody in a hospital because we vaccinate um, patients now. And there are laws and rules about how you can treat people, but that doesn't always mean that they're having their rights protected. And they still don't have anybody to speak for them if they don't have a family member who's willing to stand up and say, no, you can't treat my relative like that. So I think that's an excellent connection that you made um, between the treatment of the mentally ill and the treatment of the elderly, because it's, it is very similar problems. Another thing I was thinking about is Futurama, because mm-hmm. in Futurama, it, the old, the very old people who lived past 150 or 160 oh, yeah. went to that went to that graveyard thing. And they were stuck and tied they to were a thing. Put in drawers, weren't they? Yeah, yeah in yeah. drawers, and they were tied to it. And then all of those people were put in a thing that was basically like a nursing home but in a virtual life instead of a real one. That's one of the really cool things about art and and movies and television especially. When they're doing it intentionally, there's a huge amount of room for how they can address these issues and talk about them in a way that makes people think about them that range from Bram Stoker's Dracula in 1897 all the way to Futurama talking about um, uh, you know, old people being shipped off to a Death Star to be stored in drawers. Like that range of commentary is so, so broad. And, and that's part of why I think about movies the way I do is that, you know, they, they show the human experience and they give us a chance to think about what other people are experiencing in their lives and what that's like. And it will hopefully make us think a little bit more about what's going on outside of our own little worlds. I think that's why also these conversations that we have together after watching the movie are so important because you could sit down and watch 75 minutes of Dracula and be like, that wasn't that scary, but, you know, Bella Lugosi was kind of cool and uh, Dwight Fry was awesome. The end. And you would have been entertained for that 75 minutes and, you know, move on about your day. But just by talking about it as a family afterwards... You know, we've touched on four or five different social topics um, and some film history. Thanks, Dad. And uh, a lot of interesting things. So you get a lot more out of that um, that 75 minutes of film watching. You know, we talk a lot about watch more movies, just watch more movies. And I think implicit in that comment is talk more about movies and share your conversations and the things that you're watching. I think it's easy for movie watching to become a very solitary habit. You can have a lot of introspection, thinking about what you saw yourself. But, you know, if you don't share those thoughts with other people and the things that you're thinking, you miss out. I know that this kind of doesn't relate to the conversation, but it's something that just popped into my head for some reason. A commercial for Dracula for like back then if to watch more movies, talk about them, watch more mm-hmm. movies again. I was thinking, okay, so watch more movies, just watch more movies, talk about them too. Watch Dracula, Frankenstein and the Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein 2. Just watch and talk and watch again about these movies.
<laughs> that was a very nice musical PSA, Claire. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think on that note, that wraps up our yeah, conversation how can you about go Dracula. After that? Claire, you want to do the outro? Yeah. All right. So make sure to follow us on Twitter at B A C E A Podcast. Make sure to watch um, the Indie Dork, my dad's podcast, where he watches movies and interviews people. What's that one called? Um, the Indie Dork. The It Modcast Chatcast. Oh. So you can he find is that. the Indie Dork. I am the oh. Indie Dork, yeah. Okay. I am the Indie Dork. I am the Indie Dork. You're the dork. Accurate. <laughs> and if you have any questions for me, for mommy, or for dad, reach out on Twitter, and we will answer them. I have not yet gotten my own counts, uh, account for Facebook for you guys to direct questions just to me instead of going through my dad. But yes, we hope correct. that'll go through soon. On that note, no. let's <laughs> see you later, guys. Peace <laughs> out. All right. Until next time.